Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. If you're familiar with the narratives in the offerings from Hollywood and from the movie makers around the world, as well as television miniseries, TV movies, and TV series, you know, and of course, from the streaming services, you know that we do not need to be concerned about any superpower initiating another world war. We do not need to be concerned about any superpower attempting to become the sole world-engulfing, world-enslaving superpower. Instead, and this goes back to the earliest of the Bond series on up through all of the other spy series and secret agent-type series and all of these other related programs, including the Bourne series and so on and so forth, is that the villains, the bad guys, the evildoers, they are either some international criminal organization or extremely high-powered individual criminals, or perhaps some exceedingly mega-rich, narcissistic individual and their flunkies and so forth, or some rogue general who believes he has been slighted, mistreated, and he is on a Warpath for Revenge, or a rogue regime, almost never that, but a rogue regime, or terrorist cells or terrorist organizations. That's the totality of it, okay? But certainly no major players. They're never involved. Interestingly enough, you would think that sometime or other, there would be deviation from this very carefully scripted narrative. But there never is. So too with the programs that have the White House being attacked, the president being attacked, the Capitol being attacked, and or over in Britain, Parliament and so forth being attacked. Again, it's always limited to these other factions, whether it happens to be uh, Jack Ryan or whatever it is. doesn't matter. It's always limited to those narratives. However, for those of us who are interested in truth, <laughs> apart from entertainment, it just so happens that the reality is in stark contrast with what we are provided with, 
in the way of entertainment. Now, I don't mind entertainment deviating from reality. I just don't. That's fine. It does not have to represent reality. Whether it happens to be alien invasions and all myriad other things. Entertainment does not have to communicate reality or truth. But I do resent it when entertainment is, in fact, just a screen for propaganda and indoctrination and behavior modification and intended to corrupt and pervert and destroy society, families, people, and nations. I do resent that, but that's what we have in this day and age. But the reality is that the last standing regime, if you will, is going to be a revisitation, if you will, of the Greco-Roman Empire, the last hurrah of that. And so I feel reasonably confident that we are not going to have the world divvied up between buddies, allies, Vladimir Putin's Russian Federation regime, gangster regime, and Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime. I feel reasonably confident that there is not going to be world enslavement accomplished by them in concert and divvied up between them. However, even though I believe that that would be something other than what is described in the Bible. Nonetheless, it certainly is not hard to imagine that that could take place and that that is in motion and that is intended by those particulars, by Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. Vladimir, a year ago, was engaging in what all the experts view as being saber-rattling, just braggadocio, you know, and, and uh, stating that Russia, under his stellar leadership, was developing the most impossibly overwhelming weapons systems in all history on the face of the earth, so on and so forth. Well, here, a year later, he is reiterating that Russia 
under his watch, in his (laughs) de facto president for life regime, that it is developing these invincible, hyper, hyper, hypersonic missiles. Invincible. And as you have heard tell, the United States is very, very, very belatedly withdrawing from the INF Treaty or Pact that was signed, that was drafted and signed back in 1987. Signed by Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. And which was intended to help prevent nuclear holocaust. Well, the United States of America, under the Trump administration, it is just, I don't know, kind of moonwalking its way to a date in the future, six months hence, at which we will finally rid ourselves of being shackled and hindered and hamstrung by this treaty and be free to develop weapons systems that are prohibited, banned by that. Even while Russia has been developing these various weapons systems for the last couple decades and so forth, but we've put our foot down now and we've said, We have suspended our participation in this treaty. However, the United States of America, under Donald Trump, is not officially withdrawing from that, completely putting an end to that, for almost another six months. Meanwhile, Russia is charging ahead at breakneck speed, to get the most that it can during this time before we engage in R&D and so forth. But Vladimir Putin is making these claims. Now, what's his game? What is his purpose? You know, what is he really all about? This wonderful fellow, man of the year, time and again, this extremely lauded... (laughs) individual. What's he all about? Other than being a cutthroat gangster, what is Vladimir all about? What does he want? You know, does he just want for Russia to get respect? You know, I don't get no respect. Right. So does he just want Russia to be respected internationally? Does he just want it to be viewed in the proper light as being one of the world's great powers? Is that all he desires? Does he only desire the very best for the Russian peoples, for the people throughout this massive, massive nation? This 
most vast of nations on the face of the earth with at least five time zones, maybe six. (laughs) Is that what he wants? Well, when he was the deputy way back when at the very, very, very beginning of his political career, not of his spycraft career in the Kremlin working for KGB, but the very beginning of his political career, which was started as a direct result of his time in the KGB, is this one leader in the KGB recommended him to this new mayor in St. Petersburg. A mayor who, incidentally, just happened to have been a law professor of Vladimir Putin's when he attended law school in St. Petersburg. But Vladimir became his lieutenant, his right-hand man. And Vladimir demonstrated, covertly demonstrated to the Russian people of St. Petersburg, his home turf, just how dedicated he was to their welfare. By taking a great deal of money that was intended to be used for providing food for the people there and instead uh, making off with it. Now, without going into details about this, it was absconding with funds, it was embezzlement, it was, you know, what have you. But again, the great public servant that he was... (laughs) He decided to put numero uno above the people. And one woman who was on the city council who took him to task for this and the mayor, but chiefly, she focused all of the attention on Putin and she stayed on his case for years until she died. Conveniently died. Well, The mayor ended up losing his position, and so Vladimir lost his, and Vladimir miraculously was given a new position in charge of the KGB, the GRU, and then was promoted on to be number two to the president, to President Yeltsin, uh, there in Russia, and within a matter of months, he was in charge, just the same as Hitler was, the same kind of ascension that Adolf enjoyed back in Germany. But Vladimir Putin is the only desirous of returning Russia to respectability. Is he only desirous of seeing to it that the Russian people have good standard of living, that they enjoy freedom and health and well-being, prosperity and peace. Is that what he's about? His whole life militates against that in so very many ways, without going into the assassinations (laughs) committed abroad, uh, courtesy of the security services and so forth, but at his commands. But without that, without getting into how he rose to power and what took place and so forth, 
He is dedicated to self-aggrandizement. He is dedicated to having himself be not merely honored, but worshipped, as it were. And he will not shed a tear over one or 200,000 Russian soldiers dying. He just won't. Millions of Russians, Russian civilians dying. That's not going to keep him up at night. That's not going to disturb his peace, his rest, his sleep, his exercise regimen, anything. No. Well, Vladimir and Xi Jinping have been further cementing their collegial relationship, meeting every two to three months, meeting over and over and over and over again to powwow between themselves because they have common interests, common purposes, common objectives, common adversaries or enemies. And, of course, they share borders, they share peoples, if you will. I mean, years ago I saw that more than 90% of the people in Siberia were supposedly of Chinese origin. But anyway... These men, Xi Jinping, who is now officially president for life in communist China, Vladimir Putin, who is de facto president for life of the Russian Federation. These men currently lead the two most powerful, arguably powerful nations in the world in terms of their nuclear armaments, their nuclear arsenals. China has developed magnificent technology for military purposes. How have they done so? By stealing American technology. Raiding... (laughs) the cupboards, emptying the cookie jar, taking all of the most recent state-of-the-art, cutting-edge military technology by hacking, by very sophisticated computer hacking. Russia, too. (laughs) But... uh, But I believe Russia has done more of its own development, R&D, as compared to China merely tinkers with and tweaks things rather than bothering with the, the hard work of development. But these nations, surely they're not interested in world domination, Surely, Vladimir Putin is only interested in trying to regain some territory that he believes is rightfully Russia's. That's what's going on with regard to Crimea. That's what's 
going on there with regard to anything having to do with Ukraine is it's just, you know, an effort to to support Russian people who are in a minority position there in Ukraine, but a majority in Crimea and to reinstate them, you know, in Russia, the same way that Adolf Hitler did with the Germans in Sudetenland, that region of Czechoslovakia, back then when it was Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic and Slovakia, well, back when it was Czechoslovakia, Adolf Hitler did this in Sudetenland. And then having accomplished annexing Sudetenland by hook and by crook, and mostly by crook, <laughs> by, a lot by hook, he then took over all of Czechoslovakia. It's an identical situation for all intents and purposes with Ukraine and Crimea. But surely, I mean, that's the limit of his ambitions there. He doesn't have any desire to increase the boundaries, the territory of Russia. You know, of course not. Why would he do such a thing? It's already such a massive, enormous nation. Surely he doesn't have any lust for for land confiscation. Surely not. And yet, and yet, <laughs> and yet, look at what he has done with regard to Chechnya and Georgia, not to be confused with the great state of Georgia in the United States of America or Georgia or whatever, but no, Georgia or whatever the proper pronunciation is, and Ukraine. And activities with reference to Belarus and Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia. But really these are, and Moldova, but these are gateway, gateway nations. And if Vladimir Putin lusts to take Poland, as Hitler did. He will take these nations first that all border Poland and that provide not only troop forwarding, but naval forward positioning and so forth for attacking Poland from the land and the air and the sea. But surely he doesn't have any such ambitions, not to mention the Central Asian nations and so forth. But those are of comparatively minor importance <laughs> relative to any lusts for Europe. But surely, surely Crimea is the limit. That's all he wants is just Crimea. Or maybe, maybe Ukraine. Well, maybe Georgia. But surely that's all, <laughs> right? Well, 
Xi Jinping, surely the limit of his lusts for expansion are Taiwan and Hong Kong. Hong Kong, which, of course, the British capitulated and ceded back to communist China. But even though vast numbers of people fled from Hong Kong, so many of them came to Canada. I'm not in Canada, but came to Canada, I will say, instead of went to Canada. Came to Canada, to British Columbia, to Vancouver, to Victoria, and they were such a, made such a dominant change, demographic change, their shift in, in Vancouver that it came to be commonly referred to as Hongcouver, truly. And back in the 90s, something to the tune of 95% of the people coming into Vancouver International Airport were from Hong Kong. But, and, these, and they came in families, and they pooled their resources, and they purchased all of the restaurants and hotels and retail and what have you, and the old money population left, went inland, went up the Fraser River Valley and elsewhere, and it just dramatically changed the situation in Vancouver. And yet so many of these people, so many of these families, they still, in many cases, had individual family members remain in Hong Kong and still operate businesses that they were unable to sell. And they were unable to sell because everybody was leaving. (laughs) And so it was a buyer's market, (laughs) not a seller's market. But in many cases, again, individuals, members of families remained. And meanwhile, over the years, there's been a great influx, continuing influx of people into Hong Kong. But communist China has not made the drastic, draconian, communist regime changes there that were rightly, accurately feared would be made and will eventually be made. But surely, communist China doesn't have any lusts for anything beyond Taiwan, which it has a blood hatred towards, and uh, and Hong Kong. Surely that's the limit of it. It doesn't go beyond that. Or does it? Well... Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Maybe they would be interested in acquiring more than that. Nepal, Tibet, Bhutan, Myanmar, Burma, Myanmar. As far as Vietnam, Vietnam is communist regime. Laos is communist regime. Burma, Myanmar is communist regime already. But then there's also Cambodia, there's Thailand. These places, right? All to be desired to be included under that great red 
barbed wire umbrella of communist China. But communist China's ultimate lusts in that part of the world, to a considerable extent, focus on India via Pakistan. But that's not to say that communist China wouldn't also like to acquire the Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Borneo, Kuala Lumpur, South Korea, Japan, Guam, Okinawa, you know, so forth. Mongolia, which, you know, for all intents and purposes is communist China. So there's room for China to grow. As far as China's designs, though, with regard to Taiwan, they are somewhat constrained as far as what time of year communist China could attack and invade Taiwan. Limited, seemingly, to the months, the rough, roughly the months of April and October, with October being the preferable one. And with the intelligence agencies of South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, being what they are, and United States of America and Britain, what have you, those outside of communist China should know two months ahead of time when China is going to act, when they're going to move. They're going to make their move. And if it's going to be April, before the end of April, well, time's at hand <laughs> right now. And so I, I don't have my ear to the, uh, the sounding block or the grindstone or something to be able to hear what the, you know, the, the scuttlebutt is with regard to this, but... So I haven't heard anything being said about it, but I take it that it's not on target for April. But certainly October is absolutely in play. But why would China, you know, want to do something like that this soon now? Why? Why? China has been extremely patient. But in terms of making progress towards its objectives, it has these long, burning, lusting objectives for conquest. And... Even though the communist regime may be able, as a whole, just the, the regime, not the individuals, to continue to patiently bide its time for the next 50 years, the individual leaders don't have that luxury, do they? So Xi Jinping, if he wants to see these things accomplished in his lifetime, he's going to need to act sometime in the not too distant future. So too with Vladimir Putin. Seems to be in good health, fit, handsome, what have you, but 
at some point, if he's going to make success, achieve his objectives, his ultimate objectives, he's going to have to act. And again, he's not going to be, nor is Xi Jinping going to be, broken up about hundreds of thousands of their military dying, being maimed, what have you. Nor millions of their peoples, of their civilians dying and suffering horribly. It's not going to keep them up at night. It just isn't. No. Well, Vladimir, before I go on, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. Whatever is right and true and good about this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, failing, that's due to me. Plain and simple. Well, Vladimir Putin, because he is a very caring, compassionate, empathetic kind of a man... You know, he made a statement here just a little bitty bit ago that that Europe, Europe doesn't want United States missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles on their turf. They do not want them. They're not welcome there. No, that the U.S. is bullying (laughs) Europe, the European nations. Quote, do you think that any of the European countries want United States medium-range missiles to be deployed in Europe? Nobody wants this, but they prefer to keep quiet. Where is their sovereignty? End quote. Well, he is the man to ask about that. Where is their sovereignty? He cares. You see, he cares so deeply about the sovereignty of the European nations which ceded their sovereignty to the European Union. But, yes, amazingly enough, though, contrary to what dear Vladimir said on behalf, you know, voluntarily on behalf of European Union nations and European nations. Interestingly enough, European nations are trying to get the United States of America to do more to protect Europe. And the leaders of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland have all been in Washington, D.C. during the past year, all asking for additional support, for more support, for more help, for more protection. Romania and other nations have purchased missile defense systems to protect themselves 
from threats, airborne threats from Russia, from Vladimir's. Vladimir's kind, neighborly Russian Federation. Yes. But, oh well. Yes, this intermediate-range nuclear forces treaty. It will cease and desist in less than six months now. Poland. Poland is... Entering into alliance pact there with Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, small, small nations that were formerly enslaved by the Soviet Union. And NATO. seemingly, surely, will protect these nations. Certainly. The North American Treaty Organization certainly will go to bat for them. But if we go back to Hitler, we find that First, the Rhineland Territory that was a demilitarized zone that was kept demilitarized by France since World War I. Adolf Hitler, as soon as he was in charge and in trouble (laughs) domestically, he sent his troops rolling into Rhineland and they militarized it. They seized it. They took over. France did nothing. Britain did nothing. They stood by. They gave way. They yielded to Hitler. Even though he was breaking the Treaty of Versailles asunder. A couple of years later, he has amassed his forces along the border of Czechoslovakia, of the portion of Czechoslovakia in particular, they're known as Sudetenland, which was overwhelmingly German, even though Czechoslovakia was not majority German. Well, Hitler huffed and puffed, and he made it out that the German peoples in Sudetenland were being terribly, viciously, horribly abused, preyed upon, murderously by the Czechoslovakian peoples. Which was a complete fabrication, but he sold it to the likes of Neville Chamberlain and so forth. And he managed to pressure 
Chamberlain and Parliament in Britain and the French into pressuring Czechoslovakia into yielding Sudetenland to Germany. Five months after that, and he signed a treaty, there would be no further expansion. Five months later, he had his troops roll into Czechoslovakia, roll over Czechoslovakia. This was after having annexed Austria. Annexed Austria. Then he took Czechoslovakia. And of course, the next domino to fall was Poland, which he attacked, which he invaded, and which he claimed again that the Polish people had been attacking German people in Poland and doing evil things to them. So he had to rush in to protect the German people. I mention this because of the incredible similarity here between Vladimir Putin's Russia and Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich. But you find the same kind of similarities as these with Kim Jong-un and his family business communist regime in North Korea vis-a-vis South Korea and communist China vis-a-vis its neighbors. The same tactics used over and over and over again. But surely these men don't want to start world war. Surely if they attack, (laughs) I shouldn't say if, when, it's really not if, but when, regardless what Anybody else tells you. It's not going to be with nuclear. It's going to be with so-called conventional weapons, but the most state-of-the-art conventional weapons. And overwhelming force. Russia has been using long-range, nuclear-ready bombers flying regular flights over the Caribbean, testing for weaknesses in our readiness. And also to intimidate. Perhaps you saw that the president of Poland has offered to President Donald Trump, the Donald, to pay the United States of America to please come build a military base in Poland. And that if the Trump administration will do so, uh, that he will name it Fort Trump. Now, this was done in a way it was lightly, humorously put, but, but. Truth of the matter is, 
it is not just some joking, laughing matter. No. No, Poland understandably wants the United States to establish this base. And here, in the words of, I believe it's their, I was thinking it was their defense minister, I guess not. Let's see, it's a uh, security analyst at a Warsaw think tank, and he said, you come, we pay. <laughs> so, uh, please come. Why? Why do they want the U.S. to establish bases there? It's because they know that mere agreements on paper do not carry much weight. In the thick of warfare, these agreements can be carefully ignored and forgotten. But if United States military forces are deployed there, are based there, and they are attacked by Russia, then the United States of America is in it. They don't have to worry about, well, maybe NATO allies will show up. Maybe the United States of America will respond. No, they don't have to worry about that. They know that the United States of America will be involved. And furthermore, that that will help deter Vladimir Putin from doing something so mad and crazed as attacking, surely. Well, Italy is trying to pull Poland (laughs) its way away from the EU And it's a little bit humorous, uh, this Italian leader, I say Italy, I shouldn't say Italy, I should say this Italian leader, Matteo Salvini of the League, of the Eurosceptic League. He's trying to pull, to sway Yaroslav Kaczynski, the leader of Poland to come join him in this great adventure. The nationalist leader of Poland. One little problem, though, is that, among others, is that this Matteo Salvini is forever lavishing excessive praise on Vladimir Putin. And Yaroslav Kaczynski's twin brother, who preceded him as the president of Poland, was killed in a plane crash in Russia back on April 10, 2010, resulted in the deaths of dozens of elite leaders from Poland. And anyway, but this fellow, he, he thinks, <laughs> even though 
he adores Putin. He thinks he can get this man to come his way. I think not. Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham, South Carolina Republican, he made a statement. He's not one to make particularly strong statements, but for him it was reasonably strong. He said, I think we need to make a more definitive statement because the two people arrested in China had nothing to do with the rule of law. It was just grabbing two Canadians, end quote. Lindsey Graham said this concerning two Canadians who were taken hostage, if you will, arrested in China in response to Canada arresting an executive of the Chinese Communist Regime Corporation, Huawei. Interestingly enough, these men who were taken captive, prisoner, they have been denied access to lawyers. They're locked up. And they have been charged with engaging in activities that endanger the national security of China. Meanwhile, the person, the executive, the Chinese (laughs) executive who was detained by Canada is out on bail and awaiting extradition proceedings. But you see the difference. The difference in the way that the weak, weak, stupid West, Western nations deal, (laughs) as compared to the way that the communist regimes and the gangster regimes operate. There's a huge difference. I mentioned this with regard to invading Taiwan and the, because of this. Again, China and Russia right now are joined at the hip. And I believe absolutely they will act in concert. That China will be striking Taiwan at the same time that Putin strikes these other nations. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine. I think it will just sideswipe, sidestep Georgia and Moldova. And as soon as it has these border nations, strike Poland. If that takes place. Maybe not. But I mention it because China is either going to make a move very soon for Taiwan, namely invading, attacking, invading, such as this April, or more likely October. And October is the best time of the year due to currents and visibility and what have you. But <laughs> and the lack of comparative wave action in the Straits of Taiwan. 
but April is second best. But we will see shortly, won't we, whether there's going to be any exciting activity in that part of the world, courtesy of peace-loving individuals like these. But again, I can't see them divvying up the world, but that's not to say that they're not capable of it. Instead, I see it being a resurgence of the good old Roman Empire. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.